You're listening to episode 53 of the Reading Cove Book Club's podcast. If you're a book lover who may be interested in joining our online book club, please visit our website at thereadingcove.com. For April 2015, we're excited to have author Taylor Jenkins rejoining us for the discussion of her novel, After I Do. So hi, I am Millennia from Florida. I'm Roberta from Georgia. And we're two members of the Reading Cove, and today we are here to discuss our 173rd Cove pick, um, After I Do, by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And we're so happy to have Taylor joining us for the discussion today. Welcome, Taylor. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be talking about this. So are we. And the whole group has loved this book. Oh, yay! That's great. <laughs> we just started our online discussion with everyone. We have like 22 members now, or, or 23, and we're spread out all over the world, so we, we discuss through email. And um, the discussion just started today, and it's already off to a, a pretty good start. That was always my hope, is that it, it provides a rousing discussion. So why don't we have you start us off telling us what inspired this story? Uh, great question. I um, The thing that really inspired me to write after I do was that um, I just I really love talking about marriage mm-hmm. and the fact that there are so many different ways to be married. In general, I think we have in this country a sense that um, a marriage is a man and a woman who uh, are together the, the entire time, happy the whole time you know, together for 70 years. And if, and if it's not like that, then you get divorced. And there's merit to that way. Absolutely. But I think there's also some really interesting other ways to look at marriage. And, um, and, uh, I've been married for six years and early on in my marriage, I had this sense, you know, no one in my family has had a successful marriage. Everyone is divorced. Uh, my, my parents, my grandparents, Um, so when I got married, I said to myself, you know, okay, if this gets to a point where I'm not happy, what am I going to do? And that thought has just been in the back of my mind. I think my whole life, you know, is there, is there another way other than happily married or getting divorced? So after I do is sort of exploring that and marriage in general. Wow. Yeah. Because one of the things that I was thinking was, it's written in such a personal way that it could be autobiographical right. in whole or in part. And I wanted to you know, ask you about that because it's so personal and, and mm-hmm. the feelings and um, the emotions that you get you know, through Lauren and her introspection, the lessons she learns and, and all the realizations she makes just feel so very first person, first hand knowledge. Well, that is great. That is um, what I work very hard at and, and pride myself on as an author is that I want stories to feel immediate and real and, and raw. Um, it's funny because I feel like I have sort of fallen into um, my own dream of what I hoped a marriage would be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, you know, obviously my husband and I have plenty of problems. We fight, you know, we get on each other's nerves. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, we, and, and I would say this is a little bit to my husband's chagrin, but we talk about everything, every <laughs> thought that I have in my head. I make sure my husband knows. Um, and, uh, the reason I do that is because 
being in an unhappy relationship is something that really, really scares me. So I'm not necessarily writing from knowledge as much as fear. Um, and the, the other piece of it is I know that, um, uh, you're never supposed to worry. No one's like, Oh, worrying is a productive thing to do and you should do it. But, um, but I just do it. I worry (laughs) all the time. I'm worried about everything. And I often find that that with some things, I think about them so much, I'm worried about them so much that they don't happen, if that makes sense. Um, mm. I'm so concerned that I will grow complacent in my own marriage, that I am vigilant um, to the point where I think it's probably pretty annoying um, <laughs> about about not growing complacent at all. Um, and part of that comes from, like I said, fear. Part of it comes from the fact that I've been in relationships before where I really grew to resent the person. And I felt, you know, there's a part where Lauren talks about, um, that resentment starts to feel malignant, that it's so deep in you. And how are you possibly going to get it out? There's no way to start clean because of all of the frustration that has been sitting in your body for so long. And, um, and I've been there, you know, I've, I've had relationships that were like that and I never, ever want to have feel that again. Right. Um, and so that's, that's what the voice is. The voice is me knowing it could get that way and being really personally terrified of ending up where Lauren and Ryan are. That's very interesting because I think fear is a very powerful emotion Mm-hmm. to write from. So yeah. That, yeah, that makes sense. As I just said, one of the discussion questions on our uh, Reading Cove online discussion that I'm at the other end of the spectrum. I've been married forever, it seems like, because uh, back in March was my husband's my 41st anniversary. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Uh, well, thank you. me. And you feel it is, is a, um, something that's not so common anymore because, as mm-hmm. you said, so many people get divorced. As you said, in, in my family, I guess the generations before, my siblings and myself, people stayed together. I don't know if they were happy or content, but that was just the way you did mm-hmm. things. But then in, in my generation, that both of my younger sisters have been divorced and then remarried. So and, and it wasn't just because they weren't, quote, happy, that they had ended up, whether knowingly or unknowingly, married men that had some serious, serious issues. Mm-hmm. And it, it never could have been a... a good marriage there's just too many other you know serious issues involved and not only would they have been unhappy but they just would have been practically miserable with if they had stayed in the marriage so I, I can understand I'm not a big advocate for divorce but sometimes there's just no other way out mm-hmm. so. absolutely yeah and I think that's um that's part of what I wanted to explore with the book as well is that you know the book is is pro-marriage for Lauren and Ryan But Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily pro-marriage in general. There are a lot of characters that don't believe in it or uh, just don't see it as necessary. And there's um, a scene in particular where Lauren's mom talks to her um, where, you know, Lauren has confessed, okay, Ryan and I are separated. Right. And her mom has a lot of compassion for what Lauren's going through and makes the point that if you tried hard – 
and you did your best and you're a good person, there's nothing wrong with saying this isn't going to work. And I think that's also a piece that we don't talk about very often is like, Sometimes divorce is what you need to do and staying together and, you know, being strong enough to stay isn't necessarily the best choice to make. Um, I, I really just wanted to present a story that, that said, if you're happy and you're trying and you're not hurting anybody, you be married or divorced or do whatever you want to do. And in the world of this book, I support you. Right. Right. Yeah, I, fe- I felt, you know, sorry in a way for uh, Lauren's mother. She had made the best of a, a really bad situation, and mm-hmm. she had been the, a really, truly strong woman to have to uh, support and take care of, of three children, you know, when they were growing up. And she didn't have much choice, you know, because Dad just walked out the door. Nobody right. even knew, knew where he was. So she... You have to admire her. She was a tough woman, and, and unfortunately, in real life, I've... You know, in the past, I've seen uh, situations like that where dad just takes a powder and, you know, no one ever hears from him again. Mm-hmm. And so there's no visitation. There's no child support. There's no nothing. And it, it takes a very strong person to be able to deal with that and raise children that were basically as normal and, and average as the three children could be. You feel mm-hmm. sorry because Charlie, you know, hasn't had really a, you know, a male role model because Uncle Fletcher, as they say, is a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he's turned out okay. He's turned yeah. out okay. And, and he truly, he even, you know, when they're trying to say, well, you don't have to marry this woman. You don't know her that well. You could do this more co-parenting, like more modern things, but he he's truly, a, um, he becomes a man, he's truly a person of integrity and honor because he said, no, no, I'm, I'm going to marry her. I'm going to, you know, step up to this. And I really admired him too because he didn't really have to do anything except say, well, I'll send child support for the child. But, right. he, you know, it, you can tell he falls in love with the baby right away and, and he already feels a type of love for um, Natalie, and you can think that it's probably going to grow, that they're going to be eventually very happy together and that child will, will bind them too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that Lauren was raised by a single mom is very much, um, I don't often put the truth about my own life into a book. That is one place where I did. Um, I was raised by my mother um, with the, with the, help of my grandmother. Um, my dad was around until I was about 10 or 11 and then just lost touch and, and behaved sort of similarly in Lauren's dad. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I wanted to do my, my small, tiny little agenda in, in doing that is, um, you know, sometimes dads, uh, take a powder, as you mm-hmm. said, and, um, and it's okay. It's not an ideal situation, but you can grow up to be, a fully formed person and not end up with huge daddy issues or on a stripper pole or something, which is, I think (laughs) a lot of times the way that TV and movies and and books can present, you know, a woman who grew up without a father, um, you know, sometimes you just grow up and you're just as flawed as anybody else. And it's just one piece of your story. And there's a lot of other pieces that are um, just as relevant. And I do think that, the fact that 
both Lauren and Charlie have this sense that they didn't have a conventional family as a kid. So now what they're going to do as an adult is throw themselves into this conventional situation. Lauren meets Ryan in early age and she decides, yep, that's it. This is what I want. I'm not going to analyze it. I'm not going to worry about it too much. I'm just going to say, this is what I want. It's done. Um, And Charlie throws himself into this relationship with Natalie. Um, You know, those are the, the, those are natural consequences of how they grew up. makes them just as interesting as anybody else. Right. Um, It is interesting to see though, um, people have a lot of opinions about what happens to Charlie and Natalie after the end of the book. And it's so interesting because I feel like half of the readers I've talked to have said, you know, Charlie and Natalie are going to be great together and they have this great family. And then half of them say, well, Charlie and Natalie are never going to make it. (laughs) And it's so funny because I just, in my head, I was, when I was writing it, I thought Charlie and Natalie are absolutely going to make it. Like to me, it seems like for sure of anybody, those two are, are going to figure out a way to make that work. Um, but some people disagree. I, I've definitely had friends of mine be like, okay, but Charlie and Natalie are clearly like not headed for <laughs> anywhere good. And I'm like, what? No, I guess, you know, it's all about believing in love, but I think it's the classic case of glass half empty or half full. Yeah. And I think I got the impression that they had a fighting chance, you know, 10, 20 years along. Yeah. I didn't feel like, I didn't get the sense that they wouldn't work. Yeah. It's all, it's all in your life experience and what you've gone through. And, and I think, are you an optimist or a pessimist? Right. It's no, kind of I think it's it more the tone. To. I, for me anyway, because I'm a tough critic as Roberta can tell you, <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like it's the tone, the quality of you, of your narrative set up. That's, that's what kind of I took my cue from in terms of how I was projecting for, for them. And the sense I got of, of Charlie and um, Natalie, I thought, you know, Charlie and like Roberta was saying, he stepped up, up stepped up to the plate and I think it, it's a credit to their mother, you know, yes. and, and I would say it's a credit to her that she raised really good children and she raised very different children because mm-hmm. here you have, um, I forget Lauren's sister's name. What's her Rachel. Name? Rachel. Rachel, who was a really nice contrast to them both. Mm-hmm. Who was like, hey, I'm happily single. You know, I don't really see myself getting involved with anyone. I'm not opposed to it, but I don't really see myself working in a relationship. Thank you. I love that. Was- that. That was really the thing that mattered to me the most in telling this story was just that everybody have a different point of view and all of them feel just as natural um, as, as any other. And Rachel is one that um, I'm just very excited about because that's another that's another type of person that I don't think certainly in women's fiction, we're not seeing that often. Right. There's just this woman. And she's doing her thing and she's interested in so many, you know, different facets of life. And her love life is simply not that interesting to her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she'll she'll meet somebody or she won't meet somebody. But, you know, we always look at women in terms of their love lives. And I'm no exception to that. I've, you know, I write about love because I find it so fascinating. But Rachel's just a person who has a lot of things going on. And I, I just, I love that about her. I was so excited to create a character that can honestly say like, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not, not looking for it. Exactly. And and that's, you know, 
true because it, in today's era that there are a lot of other options that there weren't available, say, 40 years ago. There, there's a lot more options for what women can do. They can have a career and uh, fulfilling career. They just don't have to get stuck in typical women's jobs as they once did where people pretty much felt like you had to get married. My now late mother, she was talking about, she wanted to get an education, even if she didn't use it forever. But she says so many people she went to school with were there for their MRS degrees. So most of them mm-hmm. went to college so they could meet a like-minded <laughs> man, you know, and, and they could work me a little bit and then and, and quit. So, I mean, that was just the attitude. And uh, way back then in the um, early 50s and early 60s, Women didn't have a lot of choices, so it wasn't always so fulfilling. But uh, it's good to see that women do have things. And there are people like Rachel out there. She's not an anomaly that you do see people having a very fulfilling life without having to have a husband or some other man in their life. Yeah, I think it's, I think, you know, part of it is that the times are changing. I think also part of it is that we push this agenda that marriage should be your ultimate goal. Right. And some people you know, one box is just not going to fit for everybody. And so I was just very excited to talk about the fact that there are women out there who who just think that is just not a goal of mine. Right. It, I just think it's a very, I think it's a more common perspective than is shown in some, uh, in, in most popular culture stories. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So I have to tell you, Taylor, about one of our members, Jen. She okay. wanted to she wanted to um, be on the podcast, but she wasn't able to make it. But she wanted me to let you know that this book touched her life very much. Aww. She lives in Miami. And she says, you know, she so identified with Lauren and the lessons that she learned in her because they are so in alignment with the lessons she's learned in her own marriage, in her own life. Even the relationship with her grandmother was rang very true to her. Wow. Because Jen's, both of Jen's grandmothers both passed recently in recent months. And um, she wanted to let you know that it touched and inspired her life. And she loved the book and she's going to forever read anything you write. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. That That is ultimately all I've ever cared about is that I tell a story that connects with someone uh, enough that it that it stays with them. And that's all I've ever tried to do. And it's the thing that keeps me writing. We can add one more piece in common, unfortunately, um, is that my own grandmother passed away recently. Oh, um, and she, uh, thank you. She was just an incredible woman. And I, I, you know, I wrote the um, storyline with Lauren's grandmother, not in any way based on my relationship with my grandmother, because they're very, very different. Mm-hmm. But based on that great, great affection I have for grandmothers in general, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, my, I just was blessed with an incredible, incredible grandmother. And so um, that storyline was very meaningful, meaningful to me before I went through it. And now having gone through it, it's just, uh, it's a sweet spot in my heart. Um, I think that Lauren's relationship with Lois is just a really, really fun one. And, and one that, um, was written in part just as like a love letter to my own grandmother. So that means so much to me that it touched someone. Oh yeah. It, yeah. It was, it was, a, you know, there was funny bits and there was very sad bits, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. it, it made me sad at the end that she had wanted so much to see her great-grandchild, and she missed the baby by hours, literally. Yeah. Yeah. 
but it happens, you know, it happens. You feel like, well, the, the older generation passed on and here was, you know, a new baby to carry, carry on the, the lineage right. or whatever. But that was that. But unfortunately that happens. You, you know, pe- people have children later and you can't always live to see grandchildren or great grandchildren, but yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, it's, it's funny because I sent the book to my mom shortly after it was done. And, uh, she, you know, she's very supportive. My mom is like the most supportive mom. And the one thing she said was she was like, why does the grandmother have to die (laughs) before the baby is born? And, um, and my answer to that is exactly what you said, which is that that's, that's what the truth is most of the time. Um, and that, uh, I, I often find myself wanting to make things feel better for my protagonists. You know, it's like you want Lauren to have that. You want Lois to have that. You want everyone to have that moment. But I, um, I always, uh, tried to make it feel like what, what would really happen. And I feel like, unfortunately life is just so incredibly frustrating in those moments where, you know, it just doesn't work out the way that you want it to. So, uh, that, that moment is one that I like, knew had to happen that way, but broke my own heart doing it. I was like, no, like she should just stay alive for a few more hours. But unfortunately, um, life is not like that. It's, it's, it's authentic because sometimes things are contrived, you know, right. where you read right. it and it's like, oh, come on. You just, you, that happened because you said it did not because right. it, it's <laughs> right. authentic, you know? Right. Right. So, but the emotionally lasting things like the end of Casablanca, you know, makes that movie so memorable. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it had ended, you know, happily ever after, nobody would have remembered it 50 years right. later or whatever. Right. So I think this is the same exact type thing where uh, it just guts you that she misses it. Like you right. want to see her hold that baby. Right. But it rings very true and authentic that, you know, unfortunately she didn't get to hold a baby. You know, she passed away. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that because that is... um that is exactly, exactly what um, the struggle always is. It's like, you know, do you give the characters and the reader what they want or do you not do that because you know at the end of the day something ringing true mm-hmm. is going to stick with them and affect them so much more than something um, being sweet. Right. Um, but it is. It's, a, it's, it's hard because you start, you know, I spend a year writing a book. I write so many different drafts and, and these characters become like people to me. And then it's like, I have to do this to these people <laughs> that I care so much about. I just have to keep reminding myself they're not real. <laughs> exactly. And so I wanted to ask you about that. Did you ever have any alternate ending? Did you always know it would end the way that it did with them coming back together? That's a great question. I feel like typically when it comes to a first draft, Um, I know that I'm on the right track when halfway through the book, I decide I can't possibly finish this the way that I said that I was going to. Um, and then, and then I write a few more chapters and I'm like, Oh, right. I I was right. Originally. (laughs) I have to go back to that ending. Um, and after I do, I thought they're going to spend a year apart and they're going to figure out a way to get back together. And then as I was writing it and Lauren was growing so much on her own, I was thinking, she can't get back together with this guy. Like, <laughs> you know, she's she's a different person. Um, and then I wrote a few more chapters and I was like, no, 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 no. She's the same person, but she's grown into someone that can now handle 
the responsibilities of trying to fix a marriage. Um, but there's always that moment where I think, oh, this has to completely change. Um, and uh, in my third book is the same thing. Uh, and that one comes out in July. But I just had this very clear ending from the beginning. Before I even wrote the first word of my third book, I, I knew what the ending was. And then I got like 50 pages from the ending. And I was like, wait a minute, maybe I should change it. And then, <laughs> of course, I go back to the original ending. So um, I always wanted Lauren and Ryan to get back together. But I was open to the fact that if I wrote in one direction and it really didn't feel realistic, I wasn't going to do it. Well, I think you did an absolutely great job of keeping it authentic. I think that's Thank the you. thing that, that turned me because when I was like reading, I don't remember how far into it, but I thought, okay, this narrative is, I just see where this is going. This is going to mm -hmm. be favorable to Lauren. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't having that, you know, <laughs> I was always team Ryan. Like we were talking about in the morning, this morning in the group. And I was like, okay, cause I'm, I don't have much patience with needy women, you know, oh. no women who need a man or their men yeah, identified yeah. and stuff. So I'm just like thinking, okay, especially when she came in after the incident on the, on the highway, I forget what had happened. Yes. And yeah, he yeah, was yeah. home watching TV and she'd been trying to call him. And so she comes in with, you know, and he's just mm -hmm. like, WTF, like what? You know, <laughs> I don't know. And so I'm like, yeah, here we go. Typical woman crap, you know, yeah. and he's sitting yeah. there minding his business. He doesn't know you're trying to call him, you right. know? So, so yeah. So I thought, okay, I can see where this is going and it's all from her point of view. So of course it's going to favor her. So I was so pleasantly surprised and so appreciative that it was much more objective and much smarter than that. So I, I applaud you for that. Thank you so much. You turned yeah. me around quickly. Great. <laughs> All right. Awesome. I agree with you, but it, it felt like it more authentic when you saw more things from Ryan's point of view and how he was really feeling, just not how he was feeling in relation to her. Mm -hmm. and, right. and, and it, you know, it was tough because as we, we had another question so far, our discussion questions um, online was about, do you, when did you see the dynamics of this relationship change? And everybody mm -hmm. had sort of a different opinion, but it, the main thing to me, it just seemed like they had gotten wound up so much with everyday things and little things that irritated them about each other that this huge amount of resentment built up and it was almost like it was like building up and it had to come out like in a volcano or whatever you want to call it because mm -hmm. they, that just led to them separating but they had just kept so much in and told each other fussed it some ways but didn't really tell each other how they really felt about things that were important to them until everything sort of exploded at one time because at first I thought when um, Ryan was telling her that he'd only gone out to eat this yucky stuff because of her mm -hmm. and he didn't like any of this stuff and I thought why didn't you tell her this before yes you know, exactly <laughs> instead of building up this big attitude towards it but I I think that's a you know a lot of problems in a lot of marriages is there's just not the right amount of communication that right people keep things in instead of sharing it and in a, a nice non-confrontational way and you know and that happens almost in all marriages but you really have to learn to get past that or it is going to build up and become toxic and become the the bigger issue than anything else right it's it's i think so often about having a small disagreement now in the hopes of not having a massive argument later right. it's like 
it, you know, you, you don't want to go get pizza and Lauren wants to go get pizza and you just need to say, I don't want to do that. But right. instead you're going to make it easy. You're going to make it simple. You don't want to fight right now. And, uh, you set up a pattern. So you're yeah. never, ever, ever telling the truth about what you want. And then five years in, you know, you've been, <laughs> you've been eating all the stuff you don't want to eat and you're going to blow a gasket. He was really stupid for that though. I, when, so when I read that part, I was just like, Oh, come on. If you didn't like, you know, Japanese food or whatever, just then say something, just man. Just say that. You know, yeah. I don't want to eat Greek or I don't want to eat whatever. But that's the thing. It's like these small things that you choose to just not deal with in the moment. Yeah. And they grow so big. And that that really is, um, you know, going back to the beginning of this conversation of, you know, that is my fear is, is that uh, small, tiny things will grow bigger if you don't just put them into words and get them out of your body. You know, just like, just say it. Just say it and then we'll deal with it. But... When, when thoughts and, uh, and feelings and frustrations, when they fester, that's, that's what I'm afraid of. So that's very much what this book was about. The idea for having them read each other's drafts, mm-hmm. how'd you get that idea? Was that just inspired or did you know you'd have that going in? Um, I knew that I needed, um, I did not want this book to be only from Lauren's perspective. Right. Um, and I just for some reason felt like this book with dual narrator, dual narrators wasn't going to work for me. I just didn't, I didn't want to do that. So I decided that if they were sending each other letters, that would work. But then what I realized is that they don't tell each other the truth. So (laughs) if they're sending each other letters and they know that the other person's going to see it, we're back to the beginning. Right. And so I just needed a way for them to be telling each other the truth without realizing that's what they were doing. Um, and, and hence the, the email drafts. Well, I thought that was cool. And I was kind of annoyed with her when she first started reading them. Oh, yeah. Terrible thing to do. <laughs> she like, should not, not be doing fair, that. Lauren, no. Not fair, Lauren. Not fair. Totally not cool. <laughs> but And then when you find out, okay, he's doing the same thing. Because, I again, I wanted her to be the bad guy. Yeah. So when I well, found out, oh, he's doing it to her, it's like, okay, so now she's not the bad guy. Yeah, anymore. yeah. But but also, but also the thing with Lauren is how much she will justify it to herself. You know, she's like doing this thing that she knows she shouldn't be doing, but then she's sitting around asking every single person around her to please approve of what she's doing yeah, as if I it like makes it okay. Her. I like that. Is that okay? Well, because she didn't have to tell anybody, but the fact that, you know, it shows that she is a good person still. Yeah. Because, oh, yeah. you know, if she wasn't, then she, it would be much more devious. It would be much more, you know, I wouldn't right. tell a, a soul because I know what I'm doing is wrong and I just give myself a pass to do it. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. She's trying really hard to be a good person and read Ryan's emails at the same time. So <laughs> she's going to like justify this however she can, which is, that's what we all do. That's what being a person is. Yeah, but when she goes to her friend and she goes to her sister and she's like, is it wrong? It's like, (laughs) (laughs) come on, you're just trying to offset your own. You know the answer to that before you ask it. (laughs) Yeah, you're just trying to justify something that you know you you really shouldn't do anyway. Exactly. The only other thing is I was kind of wondering how this would differ with an older couple. Did you ever think of that? Like with a couple that's like in 20 years into a marriage? Yeah. I mean, I think part of part of um, where I'm at in my career and as a person, you know, I'm, I'm in my 30s and I don't think I've yet earned the right to tell that story, that story. I don't I don't know what a marriage is like after 20 years just yet. Right. But um, but I'm very much hoping that as I grow um, and my and my readers grow and uh, and my 
ability to tell a story grows. That is for sure (laughs) something that I'm interested in talking about. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting things about modern marriage that affect not just people entering into marriage now and the younger generation, but um, so much going on. You know, even even when we talk about the the uh, trend, I guess they call it gray divorce, which is you know people that have been together for thirty years, mm-hmm. their kids are grown and they decide to split up. I think there's a lot there to talk about. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. All right. So what are you working on now? Um, so my new book comes out in July. It's called Maybe in Another Life. We're all reading it. it. Great. <laughs> um, it's really fun. I think more than any other book I've I've done, this one is is really fun because um, it's got some serious stuff. But uh, it's a woman named Hannah Martin. She's completely lost. She's 29, has, has no idea what she's doing with her life. And she's sort of getting to that point where it's, you know, her indecision and her lack of direction isn't cute anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she moves back to Los Angeles after living in New York. And she goes out to a bar one night with her best friend and she meets up with her ex-boyfriend. And at that point, the story splits into two different parallel universes. And then you see what happens if she goes home that night with her best friend versus if she stays out with her ex-boyfriend. Wow. Um, Wow. Yeah. And it's about fate and soulmates and chance. And, um, and again, I think it's one that's going to hopefully create a big, big discussion about, you know, destiny. Is is destiny real? Is it manufactured? Is everything chance? I The book takes what I think is a very interesting point of view that only becomes truly clear by the end. So I think it's going to be a big conversation starter. Well, that sounds really, really interesting. And it, it sounds kind of Woody Allen-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, um, I think it's going to be a really fun one. And I'm, I'm just very excited for it to come out and, and for people to start telling me that I'm completely wrong about fate or whatever it is. I, because I think there's, there's just so much to talk about when you start talking about whether destiny is real. Right. Um, and every opinion is valid because we don't know. And I just, I could talk about it for hours and hours and hours. Wow. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. You'll have to, you guys will have to let me know what you think. We will. We will. <laughs> Great. All right. Anything else you want to share with the group? No, I think that's it. I'm just so thankful to you guys for for picking the book and for having a conversation about it. I just thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. We we loved it. Thank you for writing, for being such a good writer. My (laughs) pleasure. (laughs) All right. So... That's our discussion of After I Do. We want to thank you again, Taylor, for joining us. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. And as always, please continue to leave us your comments. Let us know if you've read After I Do and what you think. And stay tuned for our next episode. We will be discussing The Homecoming of Samuel Lake by Jenny Wingfield. See you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.